feet. You are the God of the ages, creator of all things and author of our salvation. We praise you for your mighty works and your boundless love for all your people. Lord, we love you and we desire to bring honor and glory to you always in everything that we say and do. We ask that you hear our prayers of joy and celebration for the many blessings we have received this week at your hand. Hear our prayers also for those among us who have huge concerns on their hearts, for those who may have health problems, relationships that are struggling, and for those who are weary in spirit. We do all this in the mighty name of Jesus, who has brought us together and asks us to pray together in his name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glad that you're in worship this morning, and we do worship a loving and caring God, and he gives us many things. And of course, many of us today are adding to our prayers those who have survived or uh, are surviving uh, breast cancer right now. We know there's a big uh, walk going on in Cedar Rapids, and of course, we pray for all those that um, are uh, part of the caregiving families that have walked with cancer and through cancer um, uh, results, of course, are different. We put them all in God's hands, and we pray. This morning, as every morning, and is our custom within the church worldwide, we come to the point in worship where it is important to lift up the Word of God, to hear it, to meditate upon it, and to have it proclaimed by one of our leaders or pastors. Today, Pastor Keith is going to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and uh, we're going to lay on as foundations, though he will have a couple others for you to meditate on as well, scriptures in his talk. We're going to lay on uh, Luke chapter 21 and part of Second Corinthians. Hear these, for it is the word of God. It is given to us as God's word so that you might be built up, that you might come closer to God in your life and encounter him in your daily um, living. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the simple treasury. He also saw a poor, saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put more in than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And the supporting scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparing will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. May we pray for our preacher who comes now to proclaim God's everlasting word. 
Lord our God, we ask your blessing on Pastor Keith as he comes to stand before us. We know that he has already stood before you and does each and every moment of his life. We ask, Lord, that the words that he speaks might come straight from your heart through his mouth to our ears and penetrate our hearts and saturate our spirit, that we might be more of a disciple when we leave this place than when we came in, that we might be more in tune with your word than when we came in, that we might be more faithfully giving our lives to you when we go out than when we came in, in advance of that great work that you intend and aim to do here. Thank you, Jesus. Bless Pastor Keith. Amen. Good morning. Talking today about continuing our uh, sermon series through our definition of what it means to be a disciple and what disciples do. We believe uh, because because we believe we do. And we've been looking at the different things that uh, go into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And today we're talking about generosity because a disciple lives a generous life. Now, I know many people get worked up when you start talking about money in church because there seems to be this attitude that the church just wants your money and and we shouldn't go there. But I want to say this to you, that uh, we have to let God talk to us about our money. Because so many of the problems that human beings face and encounter in their lives and their relationships and stem from attitudes about resources and money, don't they? I mean, can you attest to that in your own experience, in your own life? A lot of problems come when we don't have a, a godly understanding about money. Tim Keller said these words, there can be no significant spiritual growth in, in your life until you put your attitude about money into God's hands. We have to let God talk to us about our money because we can't disconnect it from everything else in our lives. We want God to help us grow, so therefore we must be willing to let God deal with us on every level. Can you imagine if you went to a doctor and said, Doctor, I'm just not feeling well. And the doctor was able to look, look at your life and he may discern, well, you know, you're under a lot of stress or, or you, you know, you're, you need to, to eat better. You, you know, you might say, well, hey, that's none of your business, doc. What I do with my personal life isn't, isn't part of why I'm here. Well, of course it is because you want the doctor to treat you holistically. Well, therefore, Christ in the same way wants to treat us holistically too. That's why Jesus talked a lot about generosity. He talked a lot about the attitudes surrounding money. Now, I, don't, I, wanna under, I want you to understand this. Generosity is not about the amount of money that a person gives. Did you know that? It's not about a dollar amount. What generosity means is this. It's a lifestyle and an outlook. And a disciple is generous. And you, you heard Pastor Mike read that scripture from Luke 21, 1 through 4. He says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has given more because she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her poverty. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, we see uh, Jesus looking into uh, this interaction with this man. And he says, teacher, what must I do to follow you? 
And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Then the young man heard this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said, at the renewal of all things, truly I tell you, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. Does this sound familiar to you? We read this scripture a couple weeks ago too, talking about... uh, what it means to follow Jesus and the rewards that Jesus gives. You see, this was a man who, who came before Jesus wealthy, and he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm keeping the commands. And Jesus says, look, then sell it all and follow me. If you want to live a generous life, oftentimes people have to recognize that what Jesus is after is not just our morality, but rather our willingness to follow him and give it all to him. So why be generous? First and foremost, it pleases God. Generosity pleases God. In 2 Corinthians 9, we read, Remember this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we have to remember this because when we give, if our attitude is, is, is to please ourselves, then we, you know, we're already losing the battle. We remember that being generous is what pleases God. He says God loves a cheerful giver. Now, whenever you see God loves dot, 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 we need to pay attention to that. So we give because it pleases God. <clears throat> Secondly, we give because it brings joy. There are rewards. There are benefits. Jesus promised great benefit to the man who, who would give everything to come and be his disciple. He says, look, if you, if you lose all of this stuff but come and follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have joy. You'll have life eternal. Generosity walks hand in hand with joy. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 reads, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Have you ever met a generous person who was miserable? Probably not. 
Have you ever met a person who, who lived their life in such a way that they had plenty to go around and they had the attitude that whatever I have, it's enough I can share, even if it might be a small amount. Those people with that disposition and attitude tend to be filled with joy. I remember hearing the stories from our Haiti, our Haiti missionaries from the last trip about the encounter they had with these young children who when they gave them uh, some crackers and some bread... Rather than take that stuff from our missionaries and, and hoard it for themselves, they had the attitude, wow, there's plenty to go around. And they began to break it in little pieces and pass it around to their friends who were there. You see, when you have a generous heart, you have the mindset that there's plenty to go around. And that mindset in and of itself brings great joy, doesn't it? Consequently, if you have the mindset of, hey, whatever I have, I have to keep and hoard for myself because there's not quite enough to go around and you never know what's going to happen and we better protect this, we better hold this close to our hearts, we better keep this, a person like that, no matter how wealthy they are, doesn't find joy, do they? I think it was Carnegie himself who, when asked, hey, how much money is enough, replied, just a little more just a little more. You can have the whole world, but if Christ doesn't control your attitude about your money, it will never feel enough to you and it will keep you from joy. Thirdly, why be generous? Because it prevents evil. Did you know that? It prevents evil. Listen to Paul's words to young Timothy about this subject in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When a person's focused on money and attaining more of it, and that becomes the, the sole reason for why they do what they do, it often leads to evil, doesn't it? It often leads to greed. It often leads to treating others as resources and, 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 and becoming self-focused. But when you live a generous life, when your attitude is that of Christ Jesus, which is that to let it freely come and let it freely go, that trap is avoided. That snare is avoided. It was John Wesley himself who said, When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. And money will do that, won't it? It can easily find its way into our hearts, causing us to trust in it for our salvation, or to trust in it for our livelihood. So being generous is the antidote. Being generous is a way to, to prevent those, those traps. And fourthly, of course, and most importantly, why be generous? Because God is generous. And as disciples of God, our goal is to be like God. Our goal is to be like Jesus. And because Jesus was generous, we too ought to be generous. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we read these words from God. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. You see, God was telling the people in the Old Testament, he was saying, look, this is what I expect from you. I expect you to bring to me your tithe, 10%, your first fruits 
of what you've given. And, and I'm promising you, and he even says the only place in the scripture where God says, put me to the test in this. He says, see how generous I will be to you as a response. Test me in this. See how I can become. And if you talk to people who have, who have lived generous lives in front of the Lord, they will tell you over and over again how God has provided more and more. And of course, God's ultimate generosity was expressed through his son, Jesus Christ, as we read in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God spared not his own son. He gave his son to us as a gift. That's the ultimate generosity. And if you look at the life of Jesus, his whole life was a walking gift to us, wasn't it? He did not come to be served, but came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled this life of generosity. And his disciples, that is to be our model as well. Now, there's a couple of of, of traps I want to talk to us about today that we need to avoid. Because even when oftentimes we seek to do good, evil is also close at hand. And if we're not careful, we can fall into these traps as we strive to become more generous as Christians. The first, <clears throat> the first trap that I want to talk to you about when it comes to your giving is, is this. Number one is using your gifts, your giving as a way to control others. Now, this is honestly the one that I, that I see uh, most frequently, you know, is when people give gifts, and because they give gifts, the larger the gift, the more influence or control they expect that gift will bring to them. Well, this is nothing new. As a matter of fact, there was a man in the book of Acts, he has his own sin named after him. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? His his name was Simon, and the sin is called simony, okay? They weren't very creative when they came up with that name. But you, let me just say this. You don't want to be that guy who has a sin named after you, okay? But Simon wound up in that camp. And, and here's why. Plainly this, and then I'll read you the text. He was a believer in Jesus. He had a lot of money. And he thought that because he could give a lot of money, it would buy him some power and control. And here's his story in Acts chapter 8. For, now, for some time, a man named Simon, I'll just read it to you, had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now, Peter is talking to the lead giver in his church. And he's saying that you don't have any part in this ministry anymore because your sin is so great that you thought that because you could have this great amount of money, suddenly now you would have power and influence and control. Well, Simon answers, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. And I pray that he truly repented of that. You see, oftentimes we forget that the church is not the world, don't we? Because in the world, it's absolutely that way, isn't it? Your money can buy you all sorts of, of influence and power in the world. I mean, if you have great amounts of money, you know, you get the, the, the table in the nice restaurant. People are really nice to you everywhere you go. You can, you can have all sorts of accolades in this world because of how you give your money, can't you? I mean, walk into any hospital, walk into any college, walk into any institution that is dependent on people's giving for it to be built and see the plaques everywhere and see the influence everywhere and see the, the, the control everywhere. You think that they put poor people on the board of directors of big companies and corporations and, and schools and hospitals? No, of course not. They put the people who have the ability to give And the ability to support, because that's what we're used to in the world, but not so in the church. Not so with generous disciples. Disciples give freely, not using their giving as a way to control people. I could tell you story after story of things I've experienced in my own ministry, of people who I've spoken with who've come to talk to me and have said, hey, well, you need to understand, I give this much to the church, therefore you should do what what I think you should do. I remember sitting in a, in a committee meeting one time trying to figure out who we were going to hire at a, at a previous church for, for uh, the person who was going to lead our music ministry in the church. And the church was very divided uh, on that issue. And some folks thought that, that the best thing for our music person to do was to be a person who was well-versed in the classics and, 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 and was able to, to, to lead a traditional music program exclusively. And a person who, who wanted nothing to do with this evil new modern worship that used, you know, guitars and drums and choruses and things like that. Meanwhile, there were also folks on that group who said, hey, you know, our, our, our world is changing and, and there's, there's people that we want to reach. And, and, and some of the, the younger folks in our community are, are able to worship more in that style. And, and we have different styles and different services even. And maybe we should find a person who, who has that kind of, of leading as well. And I remember it like it was yesterday. One of, the, one of the, 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 the fellows stood up in the meeting and he said, Well, we all know who has the money in this church. And we certainly don't want to do anything to, to, to discourage their giving. So I think we ought to hire the person that the folks with the money would appreciate more. And our pastor stood up at that meeting. And he looked at everyone and he said, If we're going to make decisions in this church based on who gives more money rather than what's going to lead to more ministry and more, more growth as a church, we might as well just shut this door right now. And I was proud of him for that. Now, this isn't about contemporary or traditional worship. Worship is, is, is godly, whether it's a, a beautiful men's course like we had this morning, which was awesome, you guys. I appreciated that. 
or whether it's done with a simple uh, acapella vocal. I don't care. God doesn't care. What matters is our hearts. I hope you understand the message behind that this morning. God isn't after your money. He's after your heart. And when it comes to our worship, it's the same thing. He wants our hearts. To be generous means not that you just give a large sum of money or even a small sum of money. It's not about the amount. I hope you understand that. It's about what happens in your heart. And when you've truly given out of your heart, then you've trusted that as you've given, God will do with it what he, what he decides to be done. Now, that's not saying that you shouldn't want accountability and to the church to be a good steward of your resources, of course. But if you use your money as a way to control other people, you need to understand something right now. That is not generosity. That's manipulation. That's not the gospel. And Peter says... You have no part in the ministry of the gospel if you think that because you have money you get to control people. The second trap that we have to fall that we have to be careful not to fall into is using your money as a way to gain recognition for yourself. And this is another trap I see oftentimes in the church too. Because remember those plaques I talked about in the hospitals and the, the colleges and all that stuff? Sometimes you see them in the churches too, don't you? Now I'll be honest with you. This is my personal opinion, okay? I don't speak for anybody else. I speak for Keith here. I, I'm not a fan of those things. Okay, because I don't think that they send the the right message. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. But my opinion is this. The, 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 The negative effect of that can cause one of two things. It can either cause pride because a person had the ability to give so much that their name's at the top of the list. Or it can cause shame if a person has not the ability to give that much and their name's not on the list. And I think you could have a person with a generous heart who works hard and and just unable to, to generate the kind of income required to make the, you know, the top list, who gives with a more generous heart than someone who doesn't really care about the ministry but just wants their name on a chart and write a big check. Which one is more godly? You see, but I think those things promote that, that human part of us that seeks to have recognition, doesn't it? I think it does. Now, again, if you disagree with me, that's Okay. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. See how I position Jesus to kind of support what I'm saying here? All right. (laughs) A good preacher will do that. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see, our giving should be done not so that anyone looks at us and says, Wow, look at what they did. Look at what they can do. Aren't they awesome? The minute that that happens, I hope, you know what, if that happens... Just soak it up right there and enjoy every second of that because that's all the reward you're ever going to get for that. But if you give in such a way that it's done secretly, that no one knows, that no one can boast about you, that no one can say, wow, look at them, then trust what Jesus says. Your Father sees that in heaven and will give you great reward. Now, I would rather have the reward come from God the Father and his accolades and his rewards than from some other human being that says, wow, look at how generous that person is. Now, these two traps, why did I pick these among all the others? I'll be honest with you. Because these are the two traps that Keith is most prone to fall into. 
These are the two traps that when I was preparing this message, I thought, wow, I gotta, these are the ones that I have to work on my own heart with. Because it's within me, certainly, to, to allow giving to, to think that I can buy more influence or to want people to see if I've done something generous. It's within me to do that. That's why it was easy for me to identify those. Now, there may be more, and you may see other traps at work in your own life. The point is this. When God controls your heart, when God controls your heart, then you recognize that it's about Jesus and not about us. So how do you do that? How to be generous? Is it just about writing bigger checks instead of writing smaller ones? Not at all. You know, I went to a church service one time, and this guy was getting ready to take this big offering. He says, okay, I'm going to pray right now. He says, and as we're praying, he says, there's two numbers that are going to come into your mind when it's about time to give. The small ones from the devil, the big ones from Jesus. You know, listen to Jesus. And I said, wow, you know. I mean, we've seen all kinds of abuses in the church, haven't we, when it comes to, to generosity and what generosity means. And, 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 and a lot of times those are, are pointed towards our flesh. I mean, I've seen, I've seen pastors that will stand at the back and receive the offering where you have to go and hand the pastor your tithe and offering and pledge cards, all that kind of stuff. You know, to me, I don't want to appeal to either pride or shame when it comes to, to our giving. This is, a, this is a thing, but I do want to appeal to generosity. I do want to appeal to all of us to look into our hearts and see what that even means. So how do you be generous? How do you do it? You know, we could talk forever about this, but I'm just going to give you just a couple quick things. Number one is this. Love God more than your stuff. Love God more than your stuff. I mean, if you got that down, then everything else is going to be easy from there. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So whatever you view as your treasure in this life, that's what you're going to love the most. And if you love Jesus more than your stuff, it's easy to be generous. Because where, you're, where you use your money reveals what has your heart. And Jesus isn't after your money. He's after your heart. See, it's when you love God more than money that generosity flows. And that's what this whole cheerful giver thing that Pastor Mike read earlier is all about. It's about being excited. It's about being, when you give, you're like so excited. The offering time is like your favorite time because you get to give to be a part of what God's doing. And it's, it's about your, your gratitude towards God and you're excited. Have you ever given someone a gift that you were more excited to give it than they were to receive it? Isn't that fun? Isn't it fun to be able to feel like you can do that for someone? Have you ever received a gift like that? Have you ever got a gift from someone that you could tell they were so excited to give it to you? Didn't that feel great? Consequently, have you ever received a gift from someone who the second they gave it to you, they made you feel bad about it? You ever have that? They give you the gift, you open it, oh, this is great. Yeah, I hope you like it. See what that thing cost me. I had to work a whole month and a half to pay for that for you. You better appreciate it. You just assume them keep it, wouldn't you? We don't want strings attached to that. Well, okay, so I gave that gift to you. So where's my gift? You know, I gave that present to you. Remember last Christmas, I gave you that. So mow the yard, right? You know, I got to be careful about doing that to my kids sometimes, you know. Imagine how it makes God feel. When God's given us so much. And, and we give our little gifts to God, and then we try to like, hey, okay, God, hey, I gave a lot in the offer. You better give me what I want this week. I mean, imagine what that's like. See, when you love God more than your stuff, you recognize that it's not the amount given that's important. It's the heart behind it. Now, if you hear that, by the way, and you go, sweet, I don't have to give very much. I can just be excited about it. That's what Pastor Key's saying. I don't think that's what Pastor Key's saying. 
It's not about saying, okay, how can I just get by with less? It's rather, praise God, he's so awesome. And I'm excited to give generously. Secondly is this, this is a practical thing. Hey, live below your maximum. A generous life is enabled by a wise life. And it's going to be difficult for a person to be generous if they've maxed out all of their personal income on themselves and on stuff. So it's really hard to be generous if you have no ability because you've, you've maxed yourself out. So live a lifestyle that allows you to be generous. Live a lifestyle that reflects that generosity. Thirdly, you've got to be intentional. You've got to be intentional about your giving. Notice when Pastor Mike read that each should give what he has determined to give, according to 2 Corinthians. This means that you've sat down and you've determined what you're going to give. You've put some time, some thought, some prayer into it. It's not just a reaction to whatever happened that week. I call that tipping God. You know, and you go to a restaurant, the service is good, you, you throw a little tip in there based on how good the service was that particular time. Some folks approach their giving to God with that way. They come to church, and if it's been a good week, okay, hey, I got a little extra here. I'll throw God a nice little tip for what he's done for me this week. That's not what the scripture's saying. That's not generosity. Generosity is determining beforehand, prayerfully, how much am I going to give? How generous can I be here? And how's it going to work out? And letting that be the determining factor, not your circumstances around you. You see, God wants us to bring us the bring him the first fruits and a disciple puts God first with giving not last you see when we just tip God we're basically just tipping him out of the leftovers and that's not generosity and then lastly and most importantly trust God some of us it's hard to live generous lives toward God because we don't feel like we're going to make it if we do we feel like we have to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and, and, and bring ourselves our own security. But God says, look, trust me in this. Trust me that I will take care of you. Trust me that if you live a generous life toward me, I will overflow blessing and blessing upon you and will meet every need that you have. You know what? One of the greatest joys of my life is being able to provide for my children, to be able to give them gifts and take care of them. I don't want them waking up stressed out about where they're going to eat or how they're going to eat. It brings me joy to be able to do that. And I'm just a sinful man. And Jesus said, if you, oh, sinful men, love to give gifts to your children, how much more does God love to give gifts to his children? We have to trust that our God is generous and knows our needs and will provide for us. See, part of loving God is trusting God. That guy that Jesus interacted with earlier in the day, and I talked about that scripture, he didn't trust God. He had his own wealth. And when Jesus said, sell all you have now and follow me, he couldn't do it. Because he didn't love Jesus. And he certainly didn't trust him. He loved his money and his stuff. And that's why it says he walked away sad. You'll never meet a generous person who doesn't have joy. You never will. And a disciple is generous. You know, Jesus showed us his ultimate generosity. When on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks to God and he, and he, he offered it to his disciples and said, Look, this is how much I give to you. This is the life that I've lived and this is what I'm here to do. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I choose to give it. 
and I give it all for you 